0: That song always reminds me that uh, we have something here in our community that you can't get anywhere in the world. And that power and that presence and that transcendence can be, uh, people can try to imitate it, they can try to mirror it, but they can't have it. And until they become disciples of Jesus. And so that nowhere do we see that more than what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're uh, continuing a series called Giants Fall. And for those of you who are new to the whole church thing, there's a story in the Old Testament about how King David, when he was a boy, took a sling and took a little rock And he was able to knock down a giant. And metaphorically, we've been talking about different giants that we have in our lives. And today what I want to talk about is, I want to talk about um, suffering in secret in our relationships. Uh, Suffering under the veil of shame of not wanting to let people know what actually is going on behind the scenes um, in our marriages. I want to talk about how to make bad marriages good and good marriages great. I want to be pretty transparent today. And I just want to say that um, what we're talking about today is not just for people who are married or people that want to get married. Uh, This is for all of us, and everybody's going to find something in this. But specifically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the issue of Being in a relationship, there's stuff that we know we need to address. We don't either take the time, have the energy, or honestly want to even talk about it or address it. We're going to do that today. Now, to get started, I want to tell you about the last wedding that I did before Lisa and I moved to this area some, gosh, 23 years ago uh, to start this church. And it was a wedding where... Someone we, we call these drive-by weddings, people that aren't involved in the church at all. And they're like, I'm going to have that, that pastor marry me. And they'll, they'll, they'll go through phone books, right? And then they'll show up at a church. And um, this person showed up with her fiance and sat down and asked me to marry them. And I never tell people yes immediately. I always want to get to know them. But I immediately told her, her yes, because she could have killed me. She had huge biceps and tattoos on the biceps, flames and that sort of thing, and like uh, like uh, like a crew cut, feathered hair thing. And uh, you know the the female WWE wrestlers, like she looked like one of those. And and she was like, "Can you marry us?" And I was like, "Absolutely, just 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 don't kill me." So show up for the wedding. I'm there an hour earlier, and it is at a, at their house, and at her mom and dad's house. And um, I'm there an hour before, so I'm just t- going around talking to people. All of a sudden, um, a massive gang of uh, bikers show up in their Harleys. Our, we might have some people that ride in, in Harleys here. You know what I'm saying? Where you have the long beards like ZZ Top and the the, the, the helmet and, and like people don't want to talk to you because you'll kill them. And, and so all these people show up and they have huge they have massive kegs of beer that they're bringing. And, and by 12 o'clock when the wedding was, um, most people were hammered. Including the best man. The best man literally, they had to pick him up and prop him up against the wall. And so the wedding march wasn't the typical wedding march they played Led Zeppelin's Misty Mountain Hop the she came down the aisle with a beautiful dress with matching high top basketball shoes and I'm like no one's taking this seriously I am furious I like I like, I don't want to do this no one's taking this seriously and so I'm going through the begrudgingly through the ceremony and I get to the part where they wanted to exchange vows And she gave this beautiful talk about how they met, about how much she loves him, about what she sees in him, about like the the inner parts of their relationship. And then he turned around and did the same. And I'm like, oh my gosh, have you ever like totally misjudged someone? You're like, I, yeah, I totally got these people wrong, and then they kissed, and I presented them, and they wanted then um, her dad to come up and give a toast. Now at this point, everybody sloshed, and but I'm so I'm thinking he sloshed too, but he's not, and he gave this beautiful talk about what it was like when she was small and the dreams that he had for her and how. All of their hopes were met in her new husband and how they were going to become one family. I'm bawling. I am bawling and I'm utterly ashamed of myself because I completely misjudged this couple. Now I share that for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I'm convinced now that anyone can build a great marriage. Anyone. I don't care about your background. I don't care about what you've gone through. I don't care about the addictions that you've had to it. I don't care about anything. Anyone can build a great marriage. The problem is most people who are getting married today simply don't believe that. Uh, George Barnett did a poll um, a few years back where he found that 75% of adults, 18 to 30, Agreed with the statement, it is hard or next to impossible to have a good marriage these days. Isn't that sad? Isn't that incredibly sad? But it's not like fatalistic, it's it's like realistic. It's like we have grown up watching people not be happy. And so we just have really lowered the bar of expectations when it comes to marriage. But which leads me to the second belief I have about marriage is number two, with the right behaviors, anybody can destroy a good marriage, right? I've found that. I've seen that here. I've seen friends do that. I've seen people at this church blow up what was a great marriage with some pretty dumb things. Now, everyone that's listening to me fits into, for those of who are married, fits into one of three groups. The first group is, those who are headed for divorce. Like you're married and you know it's just a matter of time. You're waiting until the kids go off to school or you um, get enough money at a certain point. But you just know, in the back of mind, you know that this there's an ETA on your relationship. And it's, it, it's pretty soon. So you're just putting in the time. So my question is, don't raise your hand, obviously. Could that be you? Could that be you? I just want to pause and say... Uh, for those of you who haven't been around here uh, very long, um, Lisa and I talk very openly about the fact that at the two year mark, we were like done. But the only reason we stuck it out because we just felt ashamed. Like I was training to be a pastor, and we came from good, strong Christian homes. And it was just simply shame that kept us in it. And we're glad we did. But I, I know what it's like to be at that point. I know what it's like to be married to someone who is thinking, dear God, can you please let me out of this thing? Second group, those who are resigned to simply cohabitate together. Those of you come, let's say, from a Catholic background. Those of you who come from really a strong Um, Scottish or Irish or Italian families where where you're like, you don't get divorced. And so you may cohabitate together. You may have sex. You may raise kids. You may enjoy one another's company. But you have exchanged intimacy for functionality. And you just know like we're in this. It is what it is. It's sort of like a business relationship. And we're just going to hang in there. A number of years ago, we asked married couples in our church this question. Obviously, you love your kids and you have great moments with your spouse, but if you could do it all over again, would you marry your spouse? I want you to notice 13%, I think it was their 13% said no. And so my question to you is for those of you who are married, don't say it out loud but there's probably 13% of the people in this room who are like, I gotta buy out No, I wouldn't have done it. Now the good news is, is that there's a third group of people that are in the room that are listening right now, and that's those who are addressing their deep ancient battles with kindness. Now that phrase, I love this phrase, I got it from Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, the actor. Um, was being interviewed and he was talking about marriage and, and what does what major marriage work and he was talking about issues and stuff and, he, and the person that was interviewing him asked him what is probably the most difficult thing in your relationship and he said oh that's our deep ancient battle he said I think everybody's got a deep ancient battle that they go to and for us in our relationship it is you don't get me you don't understand what it's like to be me you're not taking the time to put yourself in my shoes and understand what I'm thinking with the pressure that I'm under and what it's like to be related and, and married to you and in this family. and it, it's, That is the deep ancient battle. So my question to you is, for those of us um, that are married, we all have a deep ancient battle. The question is, are you addressing this with kindness? Now there's this passage that I want to look at today, and I want to dissect it a little bit and apply it to marriage, and it's not originally about marriage, it's really about circumcision. The Apostle Paul is writing to these Christians in the middle of Turkey, and um, he had helped people become Christians out of a non-Jewish background. And what happened was that they didn't get circumcised. Well, their friends that became Christians that were in synagogues, they got circumcised. So they were like, bro, when did you get circumcised? And they're like, I haven't. And they said, you're going to have to. And they're like, I'm 37. I'm not getting circumcised. And it became this big issue. So the Apostle Paul is addressing how to work through this problem. And I want to look at this through the lens of marriage. And the Apostle Paul said, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's a weird thing, to indulge the flesh. We'll get to that in a second. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, three three words I want to point out in this passage. The first is freedom. When you get married, there is no marriage police, right? There's no one who's basically making you have a good marriage and work through your issues. You're essentially on your own. It's sort of like, for those of us who are parents, it's like the day you brought home a child for the first time. You're like, they just let us leave the hospital with a child. Like, what what is this? It's the weirdest thing. There's a child in the other room. And it's sort of like that with a marriage. Like, you get married. Okay. You get to decide whether this thing's going to work or not. There's, you have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to hurt each other. You have the freedom to help each other. It's your choice. Second word is um, flesh. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to in- indulge the flesh. Now, that seems kind of like a, an odd word. The NIV translators are tr- left the word flesh... Because what the Apostle Paul is saying, um, do not use your freedom to indulge the sarcos, And it's not the flesh, like your arm, like capillaries, that sort of thing. It is the sinful part of you before you became a disciple of Jesus. Let me just pause and say for those of you who are new. Um, we believe that when we become disciples of Jesus, we're baptized God's spirit comes in, and lives inside of us, takes up residence inside of us, and that we're forgiven of everything that we've done. and the reason God lives inside of us is to battle the part of us, that is the Sarcos. There is this battle. Uh, the book of Romans chapter seven, eight, talk about this battle, right? And you know that, right? We all know that we 're in situations where when we 're in a relationship with someone, I can act out or i can I cannot, for instance, this week, I, I made a list of the issues that Lisa and I are working through two number one um, she won 't let me crack her back or neck makes me very angry. Um, I like, I like getting my back cracked and that sort of thing. Are you one of those, right? You like, you crack your own neck and that sort of thing. But she hates it and she, and she won't let me go behind and crack her neck or her back. And I tell her, I have watched many TikTok videos of chiropractors. I know what I'm doing. Anyway, she won't do that. So, and the other one is, uh, she hates it when I watch my favorite TV show of all time. And that is Holy Moly. Right and is anybody? Are there any holy any? Thank you. You know what I'm saying? I love it. What it is? It's like extreme putt putt, and you have to putt the ball, but the, you also have to jump over stuff, and they knock you over, and that sort of thing. Anyway, it's stupid. I like it. She tells me it's stupid all the time. I'm watching. Uh, I had a recorder because kids camp, and so we're watching it last night, and I'm watching the championship round. Lady gets to putt. She's made two hole ones already. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars is on the line. Um, if she sinks the putt, she gets the bejeweled putter. And um, uh, right when she goes to putt, what does Lisa do? She hits the blender. You ever do that when you're watching this show? It's like, come on, the ninja bullet. Couldn't you have waited till a commercial? Anyway, and I wanted to jump out at her and respond, but I just hit pause, and and I laughed a little bit. Now, 15 years ago, I would have responded what the Apostle Paul calls in the flesh. Right. That instant reaction of whether God's spirit is in me or not, like, bam, I'm going for it. I'm going to take her down. It's an important show. It's the bejeweled putter. Right. Um, so my question is, um, do you know that difference Right, like if for those of you who are disciples of Jesus, like you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And what it is, it's the little twinge inside of you of don't respond to that. Don't respond that way. Probably about 18 years ago, um, there was a pastor of another church that did something that, that was just evil, it was wrong. And, you know, there are just a lot of people that. In church world and that sort of thing, will sweep much stuff under the rug. I'm just not one of those, and I, I get anyway, so I call him up. He's a friend of mine, and he's just not repentant. He's not sorrowful for what he's doing. So I came uncorked on him. "How dare you do this? You're hurting people anyway. I just lost it on the phone. And when I hung up the phone, I felt so good. You <clears throat> I'm saying? Have you ever done that? You're like it on someone. And um, afterwards, you're like, yeah. <laughs> well, my friend that I came and corked on is good friends with another guy who is my mentor. And he happened to be in town. And we go out to lunch. And he said, so how did your conversation go with... I'm not going to mention his name. And I said, man, I just... I let him have it. And he said, you know what? He deserved it. But I just want to say something. Because I talked to him about how the call went. He said, you know, in my marriage uh, with my wife, we have a word that we use. And it's, it's a word unbecoming. And like we'll be in a situation and she will overreact or I will overreact and she'll say something. And maybe it isn't even an emotional reaction. Like we all know in marriage, right? We have in our hip pocket the killer biting comment, right? That anytime we can just reach in, bam, right? And uh, let it go. And uh, and, and he said, listen, so when we do that, we will say we will just calmly say excuse me that is just really unbecoming of you to do that and he said like i'll be in a situation we'll be talking and she'll she will say it is just so unbecoming that a man of your age and how long have we been married that you would go there and you would say that. And so anyway, he he just tells me, he said, Brian, you're absolutely right, and you should have had the conversation, and you needed to call him out on that, but how you did it was just very unbecoming. So my question to you is, have you committed that you will not address your spouse in a way that is unbecoming? That's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about biting, if you keep biting keep biting, keep biting keep you're going to devour each other here's the third word, it's the word destroyed and it's, it's a sad word sad word, how many times have you been to a wedding and you're like three years <laughs> you've done that, I have done that I've done that, I was like I'm leaning over Lisa. Six months. But what's really sad, because I, I do believe that anybody can have a great relationship, is there's 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 like such potential there, and they blew it up. They had it. They had the, the person. They had this thing, they had this fam, they had this thing going. And they couldn't get control of their flesh. They couldn't. And they. and destroyed it. That same survey I talked about, uh, we asked people in our church, what is the number one thing you and your spouse argue about? And look at the responses. Number one is money. Number two, I thought was going to be sex. That's why I put it there. But it was actually. Division of household duties that created the biggest ruckus in relationships, and then issues with kids, in-laws, and relatives. The use of time and days off. Hey, wait a minute! Oh, yeah, you're going golfing again? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then family and church. So let me just ask. Let me let me just sit on this for a little bit. This whole division of household responsibilities. George Barnett in his book The Future of the American Family said working women when their paid employment and household duties are jointly considered work about 15 hours per week more than their husbands. Over the course of a year that adds up to more than one full month of 24 hour days of work. Women, I just, on behalf of the men in the room, We just simply want to say, suck it up, okay? (laughs) No, no. Here's my question. My question is, if that was reversed, how long do you think that would stay the case if men were working an extra 15 hours a week? More, shuttling kids and back and forth and... Uh, oh, there's a whole thing, right? The, the, there's the planning of the, of the meals and then there's the getting of the food and then the transfer of the food and then the preparing of the meals while simultaneously you're doing this magic trick of kid over here and here and there and there and you're like I'm losing my mind and you're coming home and you're like, God, that was rough. Yeah. <laughs> and we just have to be honest that This is a a big deal. And as disciples of Jesus, because now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we know that this is a big deal. We know that, hey, you know, you're carrying the ball more, and I'm usually the one that gets the ball on the two-yard line, goes in for a touchdown, and, you know, um, coming in at the end and doing the fun stuff. But men we just have to honestly talk about the fact yeah you're tired but your baby has to have a bath and then you have to go through the whole 18 hour bedtime routine <laughs> right and then i need another cup of water that's okay go back and that that, that, that we just have to be very very honest that even in 2022 even in so called christian marriages the women in this room are taking the lion's share of the stress and we need to change that. Like we need to change that or our relationships will be destroyed. Right? So let me just let me just say two things. First is, nobody does this perfectly. We're all learning. That's what a disciple of Jesus is. And when Jesus, when Jesus talks about come and follow me and learn to be a d- d- disciple. A disciple is nothing more than an ancient word that meant a learner. Which means everybody starts somewhere. So right now, wherever you are in your relationship, you're starting wherever you are right now. But you have to Get to the point where you're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you. And this afternoon, you need to have a conversation. You've been carrying the ball a whole lot more. How can I help more? What is it specifically that I can do where I can be more supportive of you? And This is this nothing to do with kids. This is just in the relationship. So that's the homework for every guy in the room, right? You're going to go home, and you're going to genuinely say... What can I do to be more helpful and more supportive? How can I serve you humbly in love? How can I stop biting at you and actually be the person that's going to lift you up? And number two is that there's marriage help. One of the great things we we talk about here at our church is how we're a church that we really, really value grace and truth. We want to be very honest and transparent about what we're going through, but we want to hold to the truth of Scripture. And so, one resource that we have available, and it just so happens that we're going to have this in September. I learned about this two days ago. I was like, this is perfect. Um, We have a class that um, 23 years ago, Lisa and I went and got trained to be facilitators of a class called Dynamic Marriage. And to be honest, you've heard me tell a story before. I went and got trained to go and fix all your marriages. And then when I went through it, I was like, oh my gosh, my poop actually stinks. This is, I got a lot to work on. And that class was the single best thing that we have ever done for our marriage. Some of our best friends in the church came through this class. And it took a little gumption, you know, to want to do it. But I'm telling you, if you talk to people in this church... It is a really cool experience. And so we have this class. It's starting on um, the second Sunday in September. And if you go to our website, ccvlive.com, and go to the groups and classes page, you can sign up for that. And it's limited enrollment. There's only a certain number of people. I think it's 10 couples. And once it signs up, it signs up. So, so go there. Second, I want you to know that we want you to come back and be a part of our church family, that if, particularly if you're new. You know, the funny thing is that people who don't go to church will sometimes tell me, this is really cool, we ought to do this again sometime. And I'm like, we are next Sunday. And But I just want to make sure you know that we do this every Sunday. And what happens is there's lots of other things other than just on Sunday morning that you can get connected and involved in. And then third, we have counseling here that you can find out about from our website. Let me just say this. Tim Keller wrote, over the years, you will go through seasons in which you have to learn to love a person you didn't marry who is something of a stranger. You will have to make changes that you don't want to make, and so will your spouse. The journey may eventually take you into a strong, tender, joyful marriage. But it is not because you married the perfectly compatible person. That person doesn't exist. Let's pray. Thank you God for the community where we look to you as our leader. And we seek to be like you. We seek to serve one another. And we want to start with the person or the people that we're closest to. Help us to serve one another in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.